In January, President Donald Trump became the first U.S. president to appear in person to address the March for Life. It was a historic moment. Since Roe and the fiction of abortion violence was imposed on America, the March for Life has been a distinctive national event. Every January, hundreds of thousands of Americans convene in Washington to celebrate the good that is every human life and witness to the restoration of this human right in our culture, law, and policy. The March for Life in Washington is incredible, and it's expanding, most recently with the Virginia March for Life, which took place in Richmond, the state capital, on February 13th. We reflect on the March for Life in Virginia, the witness of some of the incredible women who were there, and what's next. I'm Tom Shakely, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law. Welcome to Life, Liberty, and Law. I am Tom Shakely, and I'm joined by an all-star group today. We've got Natalie Hedran, Staff Counsel at Americans United for Life, returning to the show. Welcome, Natalie. Good to be back. <laughs> and we've got Jesse Sutherland, first appearance on the program from Americans United for Life. How are you doing, Jesse? Pretty good, pretty good. Start. I'm so happy to have, to have Jesse on for the first time. You know, his last name is Sutherland, and he's a little bit of a Southern man. <laughs> Jesse, are you, you're from North Carolina originally, right? Yeah, yeah. From uh, uh, born and raised in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, but grew up on the uh, near the Outer Banks in Edenton, North Carolina. The Outer Banks. Wow. So we've also got Noah Brandt here from Americans Center for Life. Good to have you back, Noah. Always happy to talk to you, Tom, and our esteemed colleagues. Uh, and you guys actually got to go to the Virginia March for Life. I wasn't able to go this year, so I'm so excited to hear your perspective on it. I'm excited to talk about it. It was uh, a really great road trip. So a team from Americans United for Life spent the morning witnessing to human life in Richmond. Jesse, tell us about that. Yeah, actually, where I live at in Alexandria, um, my congressman there is actually the majority leader, uh, uh, Democratic leader in the House. And um, also my senator, state senator there, is the uh, Senate leader, Democratic leader in the uh, Senate. And so we were able to uh, to meet with them as constituents, um, and that was that was really good to just, you know, we come from different areas uh, or different uh, opinions with policy and stuff, but it was just good to humanize them and to have a decent conversation. Uh, uh, we, we didn't meet with a, a single Republican all day. We met with a, a mm -hmm. bunch of Democrats, mm -hmm. and it was just really good to just sit down at the table uh, and talk about these issues uh, in a real-life perspective. Yeah, that's the thing that I think we think in this era of partisanship, that folks aren't talking to each other across the aisle, right? But you guys did. And I think speaking to Democrats in Virginia, a place where, of course, led by Democratic Governor Ralph Northam, whom we'll speak about more in, in a few moments, uh, it's, it's a state that's changing some of its laws, making it more hostile to life. So I think it's especially mm -hmm. important, the meetings that you did have. Yeah, um, that's precisely why we wanted to meet with them um, even if we didn't get to meet with the delegate or the senator themselves, we met with members of their staff um, and were able to at least let them know why we wanted to visit. And um, some meetings were more, I would say, productive 
Then others, it was more of a conversation. Regardless of how it went, I'm really happy that we had that opportunity at least to be heard because I think that's really important. Um, Were folks surprised all. to hear that they had folks coming in who didn't either want like an immediate thing. They didn't have an immediate constituent request, right? Like there's a pothole on my street. Were folks surprised to hear from somebody across the aisle? I think maybe some of them, what, when we explained, oh, we're here for the March for Life. And since we're in town and residents of the Commonwealth, we'd like to meet with, you know, whoever it was. Um, I, maybe some of them were, maybe some of their staffers were a little surprised as to why we, they were chosen. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I think a really good perspective uh, on that would be, uh, I think some of them were surprised, and I think the demeanor did change when we said we were there from the March for Life. Uh, in some cases, um, it changed negatively. It, negatively, yeah. yeah, because I think I think a lot of uh, people who uh, uh, you know want or who are, who are pro-abortion, they 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 think of um, maybe some uh, large segments of the pro-life movement as as um, maybe disingenuous or um, you know very divisive. Yeah, they've got stereotypes. Yeah, stereotypes, yeah. just like just like we do. And I think um, you know one thing I, I saw in one of the one of the meetings we went to uh, walk in the office, and I I heard a lot of good things about this this uh, uh, senator uh, before we went. And he had just got done reading reading scripture, and so mm, we connected yeah. over that. Uh, he was just reading Isaiah six, and had a had a really good conversation about that. And uh, so that was really encouraging. And we just sat there. He was like, he was like, shut the door. Let's just sit here and here and have a conversation. Mm. And uh, for him to um, say, not just um, you know, I know we come from different different viewpoints on on on, on the abortion policy. He said, but. I'm actually sympathetic. He's like, you can't, you know, in, 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 in his words, he says, you can't really put me in, in a box, you know. And it was just mm-hmm. really encouraging to hear that. I mean, not not every Democrat is stuck in this partisan yeah. zone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. That was one of our, def- that was definitely one of our best meetings. It was a real conversation. That's, we, that we sounds like something. such an interesting meeting, Jesse. What you're talking about stereotypes, you know, we both, both pro-life and sort of pro-abortion sides have stereotypes of what the other, uh, the other side is like. And that's why, you know, Natalie, I think you walking into these type of meetings, you're an effective advocate, right? You're a young female attorney from a minority background, and you're talking to these state legislators. How do you sort of begin, either Jesse or Natalie, how do you begin a conversation with someone that you know, at least on the surface, you disagree with? Like, how do you, I think for our listeners, we have these pro-life warriors listening in. Mm -hmm. How can we equip them and how do we do it? How do you start a conversation with somebody who you know just disagrees with us on this? I'm thinking of one of the delegates we met with. There was a poster of the uh, Wonder Woman, the new Wonder Woman movie coming out. Mm. So we both Jesse and I both saw that, got really excited, had a conversation. <laughs> so this it, the conversation actually started off on a really high note because we were both so excited. Like all three of you us are connected so on culture. Right? Yeah, we, yeah, we were connecting on that. Um, and that's a human thing. That's yeah. the good stuff. Yeah, there, yeah. I mean, all, all of their offices had decorations. There's there's definitely something you can. Um, point out um, or like you, you a try conversation to, starter. Right, and you kind of try to make, almost make a friend well, yeah, before you. Yeah, make it you, relaxing. Exactly. Um, yeah. Especially, at least at least for, I think that, I don't know about Jesse, but I know for me that helped me relax going in knowing, oh my gosh, she's going to not like this. Um, <laughs> it can be nerve-wracking. Yeah, but, you know, we started off there. Yes, it, the conversation did go a little south after that, but uh, she was still very respectful and I, I, maybe some of that was partially because we had started off on this. Here's a connection we have. We both really enjoy this movie. We both enjoy um, 
comic Gal, movies Gal in general. Gal Gadot, yeah. great Israeli actress. Yeah. Plays um, <laughs> Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think we start, like, starting off from that point, even though it did get a little tense after, it, I think it was still one of, again, one of our more productive conversations. Whereas I think with um, uh, one, one of the staffers I met with for, uh, one of the Senate staffers I met with, we didn't have that. She just dove right in. She, she, cause she already knew um, mm. that I she was She had no there. interest in connecting with you as a yeah, person. Because yeah, because she'd known what I was there for. And it, the, the feeling I got was just, she's listening to me as a courtesy. It wasn't a conversation. It mm. was, it was. You know, I think it's okay, like, to have awkward moments and it's okay to be uncomfortable. I think uh, we need to get in those places where we feel uncomfortable when we're challenged on things uh, that, um, uh, uh, Arguments that, that we haven't really thought through. Um, and that doesn't change our principal position, but it changes how we speak to folks and how we look at folks. And we, we put dignity on uh, people at the end of their life, right, with, with this, uh, suicide by position. And then we also put dignity on the unborn. But there's also dignity all between that, right, from womb to tomb. And I think to, to go in the office and, and have this, this thought, this stereotype in my mind, well, this is the enemy or this is an evil person. It's just, you have to go in, right? And remember, we are all not just human beings, but we're also neighbors, right? Yeah. We want to live in peace and, and hopefully ultimately in harmony with one another, right? You know, we've talked with Charlie Camosi and others on Life, Liberty, and Law in the past about this need that if you want to achieve justice, a just society, if you want to achieve peace, it means not papering over differences, whether that's in family, amongst coworkers, or in public policy, but it means addressing the differences, right? Especially if they're big differences mm -hmm. like, what are human rights? What's the scope of them? And addressing them, drawing them out, and saying, how can we try to resolve this challenge in our body politic? Because if we don't do it, Things uh, might seem peaceful, but it's sort of a false peace, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think you going in there with that spirit of, of neighborliness and charity uh, is a beautiful witness. That's, that's a great template if you are looking to get involved in your own way in the states. And I think, you know, as we look at the states, you know, we're looking ahead toward a post-Roe America, you know, uh, when Americans across the states will be able to once more welcome and protect all human life. That's what it means to... To be in a post-Roe America, it means that the issues returned to the states, to mm -hmm. the voters, to the American people, and not to unelected judges. As this is happening, as this shift is underway, and then we anticipate in our lifetimes that this is going to happen, some states are moving preemptively to say we want to keep abortion not even just as it is, but we want to go to extremes. And Virginia is one of these states. This is why the Virginia March for Life happened this year. Governor Ralph Northam, of course... Uh, a leader on this in a very negative sense. Um, he's moved along with other representatives and he's moved along with others in Virginia to wipe out basic health and safety regulations. The sort greenlit by the U.S. Supreme Court more than a quarter century ago in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, including things like patient-informed consent, access to ultrasound results, and patient reflection periods. So this is a key time in Virginia and in the states in general because now is the time when we have to witness more than ever. You know, setting the table, Tom, so much changed in Virginia after the 2018 elections. You know, the legislature changed hands, and there's the Democrats now control the governorship and both houses, which means in our federalist system that they can more or less pass anything their party agrees on. 
And so what was sort of Governor Northam's uh, just thinking out loud last year about maybe leaving a born alive child to, to die, if that's what the parents and the doctor agreed on, could now become a reality because his party is in complete control of that legislator. So I think that President Trump's appearance this year at the National March for Life, you know, this isn't just theoretical. In so many states, these things could really happen. So President Trump being at the March for Life means something. So let's hear from some of President Trump's remarks this year. Again, first sitting U.S. president to address the March for Life ever. Well, thank you very much, and thank you, Jeannie. It is my profound honor to be the first president in history to attend the March for Life. We're here for a very simple reason, to defend the right of every child, born and unborn, to fulfill their God-given potential. For 47 years, Americans of all backgrounds have traveled from across the country to stand for life. And today, as President of the United States, I am truly proud to stand with you. So this is an incredible moment that he's coming here, speaking in person. Other presidents uh, have literally phoned in to the march, but he was there in person. And, you know, he spoke about some of the issues uh, we just spoke about. And he spoke about, in particular, what's happening in places like Virginia. And you could even say for centuries, nearly every top Democrat in Congress now supports taxpayer-funded abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. Last year, lawmakers in New York cheered with delight upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb right up until delivery. Then we had the case of the Democrat governor in the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, And we love the Commonwealth of Virginia, but what is going on in Virginia? What is going on? The governor stated that he would execute a baby after birth. You remember that? You know, powerful words by President Trump. And he definitely shifted the paradigm by showing up in person. We've made the point of the podcast before that one of the most valuable things in politics and public policymaking is time. We always talk about for st- with state legislators how can we make state legislators spend precious legislative time on our issues, on life issues? And the president taking an hour, however much he did out of his day, that was a powerful comment on what him and his administration thinks the time spent on the life issue is worth. He thinks it's worth a lot. And he referenced Governor Northam's comments last year, you know, in light of Virginia Delegate Kathy Tran defending a bill last year in Virginia that would allow for a child to be killed during birth uh, that went viral. All eyes were on Virginia. Governor Ralph Northam went on live radio for an interview on Transbill, and he made comments, you know, even charitably, strongly suggesting support for leaving a child to die after abortion. In other words, infanticide. Let's hear those words. I don't know what he said yesterday. Here's what Virginia's governor did say. The infant would be delivered 
the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers. Now, Senator Sass is fat. I think it's important as we hear these words, we hear the president, we hear the governor of Virginia speak in their own voices on these issues to understand, you know, this isn't um, just kind of politics as usual. This is really an extreme moment in American history. This is what's setting the stage for what we saw in Richmond on February 13th, right? All the people, thousands of people coming out, realizing they need to witness on the state level you know, this was only the second year that the Virginia March for Life happened. So this is a direct response, as you mentioned, Noah, to the changes in 2018, to the changes in our politics generally, and consequently the changes in our, our law and policy on the state level. You know, guys, I wasn't able to go to the Virginia March. You all went. I know we have some audio from some of the speakers. Did anything really stick out to you guys being there? I hear there were some speakers with some really powerful stories. Um, yeah, a post-abortive woman, I think a couple post-abortive um, Yeah women spoke. So that was particularly um, powerful because it was a very personal experience that they chose to share with so many people. Yeah. And it was, it was raining. It was pouring down rain out yeah. there. And, and just to see, um, you know, a thousand people or more out there at the, uh, at the rally is just, it's just really, really, really uh, encouraging uh, for the movement in general. Um, and then seeing all the all the legislatures walk out on the Capitol steps and wave to us, and uh, I think I think it's just really important for them to come out there and stand and see the support they have too for their work. Yeah, Mary Margaret Olihan from the Daily Caller uh, was out as well. She did some on the ground reporting, and uh, she interviewed uh, a young man um, with autism and spoke about. Um, the effect that uh, abortion has on vulnerable populations. Uh, you, you get the diagnoses before birth and doctors then recommending uh, abortion based on that. And we've seen in certain countries where, you know, things like Down syndrome have been said to be uh, cured. Of course, <laughs> yeah. but what they mean by cured is uh, genetically pre-screened, discriminated against, and killed. Uh, and so these, these are very real-world consequences across the spectrum because we know people in our lives who are affected by this um, so it definitely is mothers, and it is an issue at the beginning of life, but it carries through the whole of life. And this is where, uh, as you mentioned, Natalie, um, we heard in particular um, two two women uh, that we're going to hear from now speaking about their respective experiences um, with these issues. Thank you all for being here today and showing your unwavering support for the lives of the unborn. I am greatly distraught over the things that have happened over the last couple weeks regarding abortion bills. In particular, SB 733, which removes the requirement of the 24-hour waiting period and also the ultrasound requirement in order to get an abortion. You see, three years ago, I was pregnant with my third child. I had been diagnosed with a severe illness, hyperemesis gravidarium. I was so sick, I was unable to eat or drink for over a week. In the hospital, they had an ultrasound done and my baby had no heartbeat. I remember thinking to myself that I should just go and get the abortion. There was no need in prolonging my suffering any longer. When I arrived at the abortion clinic, I was told about the 24 hours I would have to wait and the ultrasound that would be required. After they did the ultrasound at the abortion clinic, it turns out my baby did have a strong heartbeat. And that, my 
I could not go through with that decision. I left the abortion clinic, but because of the 24-hour waiting period and the ultrasound requirements, my son is alive today. By the grace of God and with the protection of the 24-hour waiting period and the ultrasound, my son is here. That, that, that is almost uncomprehendable, okay? I mean, this is my child and he, he had no heartbeat and then he had a heartbeat and that saved his life and ultimately my own life. We've spoken on the past programs about defending life. We've spoken about our laws. We've spoken about the fact that science and medicine can't always predict what's going to happen. They don't even always accurately describe reality, as we've just heard, right? A baby where one ultrasound says no life, the next says life. Virginia's reflection period meant that that child's alive. Testimony from a mother with her child there. Incredible. Yeah, that was really, um, it was really moving to hear. And it, it's good to have um, reminders of, like, when I, I spend so much time just working on, with words, um, reading things, writing things, uh, it's good to remember what it's all for. The words protect the people, right? That's that connection yeah. between law and policy and outcomes. Yeah, there's an actual impact. Yeah, her, her, that, what an incredible testimony she has. Um, it's, it's really encouraging to see that these bills actually save lives, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I have my own wrestling in my own heart with, with uh, legislation and, 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 and the government's uh, role in, in human life. Um, but this is the reason why um, government exists, to, to protect life. Um, obviously, um, across our land, we need heart changes. There's no doubt. And legislation cannot fix a human heart. But uh, legislation can protect lives. And I think this is the, the, the exact role of government in our life. This isn't overreach this is this is protecting and giving a chance for 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 someone to to rethink things uh i have my own story with this um and and i'll share it sometime here soon but uh my my mother um had an abortion my grandma had an abortion my sister was almost coerced into an abortion mm -hmm. that's powerful jesse you know we heard from another woman at the virginia march for life chandra jarrett an advocate for life who went through a late-term abortion Let's hear from her. At the age of 19, I faced an unplanned pregnancy. And it was during a time when consent was not required and ultrasounds were not required. And because it was not required, the doctor did not show me the ultrasound. I did not know what was going on inside my body, even though some would assume that we do. As a result of that, because my life was complicated, Days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months and you would think it may be four weeks or 12 weeks or 16 weeks. The doctor would show me the ultrasound, but he didn't. And when I chose to have an abortion at 20 weeks, I had never seen what was going on inside my body because it was not mandated for the doctor. He got to make that call. During my procedure, something went wrong and I lost so much blood, I had to have a blood transfusion. The truth is I should not be here because of my abortion, but because of God's grace, I am here. I suffered. I, su 
suffered for 25 years. I want people to know the truth about abortion. We need to know that abortion affects every fiber of a woman's being. A woman has the right to know what is going on in her body when she gets pregnant. And if you are post-abortive like me, I am encouraging you to get healed and be a voice for life. We need to change the narrative about abortion. We need to tell the truth about the trauma of abortion. We need to save babies and spare the hearts of women. God bless you. When we hear some say that women need to be heard from on this issue, well, we're hearing from women, right? Chandra's witness, powerful, authentic, real. Again, these are not slogans. This isn't politics. This is human life. She's been through suffering. She's been through trauma as a result of precisely the legal regime that is now being brought back, this retrograde view of what patients, what women, what children, what communities are owed. It's incredible that we're back here in certain states like this, and we've got to overcome, we've got to transcend it through the neighborliness, through the witness, through the encounter that you guys demonstrated that morning in Richmond. Yeah, that's exactly why it's important for all of us as constituents um, to go and talk to our representatives, even if we know they don't agree with us. They still are there to hear from us and have conversations with us. Um, I think, yeah, it's just important work for all of us to do. Especially if they don't agree, right? Yeah, especially especially if they don't agree. Yeah, How often are we hearing from each other? We're all Mm -hmm. caught in our own silos, our own boxes these days. Yeah, Chandra's story isn't a talking point. Uh, One thing that video didn't show is when she comes off the stage, she just starts weeping um, and, and hugging her friends and her family Um, that was such a powerful testimony. And there's so many women like that all over the United States that have been through the trauma of abortion who have stories just like that, just change a little bit of the details. The courage of these women who have survived abortion come to wrestle with what what that decision means and then rejecting abortion and helping women who might be going through something similar. The courage cannot be underestimated. And every time I think about it, I'm agog. It's amazing. Yeah, and this is what, the Virginia March for Life is about. It's what the March for Life itself is about in Washington every January. And we're going to see more of these state-level marches. I know there's going to be one in Pennsylvania. There's going to be one in, in Maryland and in other states. And it's because the issue matters now more than ever. You know, when we hear about the sort of things that President Trump mentioned in terms of what happened in New York last year, you'd think maybe that there's not a place for you in state-level advocacy. And you say, No, now's precisely the time that it matters because when the states are starting to change their laws, when they're starting to say state-level law does matter again, even before Roe is reversed, that means that if you're in New York, if you're in Virginia, if you're in one of these states where it is an issue amongst the lawmakers, they need to hear from you more than ever, either to know that now is the time to uphold your existing life-affirming protections or to stand up for life and to say, you might have the political power to strip away informed consent from women. You might have the power to impose uh, anti-health and safety regulations upon the population, but it's not right and it won't stand. Either way, your voice matters. Yeah, it's important to make sure, it's important to make sure that it doesn't become 
just some sort of echo chamber, a bunch of yes men around your representatives. Um, just telling them whatever, whatever you're doing is fine. Um, and they work for you, right? Yeah, exactly. They, yeah. or they work for us. Yeah. Representatives does. So even if they disagree with you, you can you're, go in there mm-hmm. and give them a piece of your mind. Yeah. Because that's what they're supposed to be representing. They're not They're not just politicians or kings. They are mm-hmm. representatives. Mm-hmm. Represent us. That's one of the things, you know, we've heard recently people refer to some of these folks as leaders. They say our leaders are leaders. And somebody made the point recently, I thought powerful, which they said, in our system, no, they're not the leaders. We, the people, are the, the leaders. leaders. They're, they're not Pompey and Caesar, you know. <laughs> right. We elect them. We can we can recall them. We can yeah. elect someone else. No, the yeah. Chandra Jarrett's are the leaders. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and if I can encourage all the friends on this podcast uh, to know um, your state senator, know your, your, your state representative, get to know them on a first-name basis. Um, and in these state capitol buildings, you can walk right into their office. It's incredible. When we first entered the capitol, I saw that the... the Speaker of the House, which is just just really cool. She's just walking right yeah, by. Awesome. Um, and in every state house, it's just like this. These people aren't sequestered, right? They're just there. And it's it's like when you approach them, it's so key to remember. You might, you know, I know I've been there. You might have these these feelings. You might have these perspectives. And you think this is your moment, right? You've got whatever, 10 seconds or something. And the truth is, in general, especially on the state level, you can have that real relationship. You've got more than 10 seconds. So it's just sort of take a moment, breathe, and remember that, the best way that you're going to witness is just by being yourself, being winsome and, and making it clear you want to enter into a relationship first. And then, right, once, once the heart is open, then maybe there's a capacity to hear what the message is. Absolutely. And, and if you're nervous, if you can go around holiday time, they might have candy. We went around Valentine's Day and they had candy <laughs> out. So at the very yeah. least, you can walk away with some candy. Absolutely. A consolation prize. Consolation yeah. prize, yeah. Well, Natalie, Jesse, thanks so much for your witness in Richmond, and I hope you keep it up across the states. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to um, continuing to get to know my representatives. And we're heading to Maryland on Monday for the Maryland March for Life in Annapolis. Oh, and yeah, that's where uh, that's around where Noah's from. That's right. Noah Brand. Listen, a son of Missouri, a now somewhat reluctant resident of Maryland, <laughs> but uh, very happy to, to be able to, just as you guys talk to your representatives, talk to maybe some of my representatives. All right, if you enjoyed today's show, Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to the program. And if you haven't already, share the show on Facebook, on Twitter. Tell a friend about us. That's how we spread life, liberty, and law, the message of human life. If you have any comments, questions, whatever, email us at life at I'm Tom Shakely. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Law.